listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Very powerful line that I think we can use in our practice is that old saying, the map is not the territory. The map is not the territory. I think it's Alfred Korbisky or something who says that. I get it wrong every time, so I apologize. I'm letting you know my footnote is bad, but so much of our meditative work and as we begin to read, we begin to accumulate, you know, our mala beads, or we accumulate uh, uh, a new seat cushion, or a new book, or a new version of the teaching, or something like that. We get all this stuff, and essentially, it's helpful because it supports our work. But it also is not the actual fruition of that work. That we have this ground that becomes established. The ground of our work, we start recognizing at the beginning step, hey, it's, something's not quite right. Something's missing. Something, I'm, I find myself, I've got everything I need and it's not working. The path then we take, okay, as it's been articulated by countless thousands of men and women who've gone before. We read their accounts. You know, we, we mirror our uh, experiences or at least filter our experiences through what it is that they have to say, the wisdom that they have to share. We walk this path. And then we recognize at some point in time along this path, that the path itself is not the actual territory. It's not the view from the path. The view from the path and then incorporating that view into our steps as we continue along the path, that then becomes this fruition. So I've kind of articulated a three-step process that they more or less dance around most beautifully, I think, in the Zogchen tradition. It's D-Z-O-G-C-H-E-N, which is a version of, uh, of uh, Vajrayana or Tibetan Buddhism. Sometimes I change the language a little bit in what I throw at you guys to articulate very clearly, as best I can at least, and sometimes I fail miserably, but that we go through this state of recognition as our ground. And then in that recognition that something, something isn't quite right or I'm, I'm searching for something more to help bring peace into my life and that I may impart that peace upon others. We then, the minute we really get busy in that space, the minute we start looking at that map and we recognize that that map is not the territory, the minute we start going on the path and recognize that the path 
ain't the whole show. We then meet up with resistance. So from recognition to resistance to, hey, wait a minute. And the, hey, wait a minute is really actually should always be listened to. It should always be heard. It should never be wiped away. If you have alarms that are going off around something that I say or something that a particular book says or something that you... <coughs> let those alarms sound. Okay? Let them sound. But also, recognize your relationship to what the alarm is, is spouting off. Do you immediately follow it? Or do you explore it more deeply? Do you let that alarm act as a map and a territory? Or is it just a pointer? In other words, if we allow all things that come up to act as a map, rather than confusing that map as being the territory itself, which is beyond the map, we're in much better shape throughout our life. Throughout our life. Not confusing perception with reality. Not confusing the teaching with what is being taught. Not confusing the finger that points at the moon with the moon itself. All these great little cliches and sayings I could probably rattle off and I'd bore you, but it really, it's very important for us to actually do this on our own, to actually look at our map and get on the other side of it. Now this is not easy. It's like getting on the other side of our mind. The only way we can get on the other side of that particular filter is when we watch the mind. When we watch the mind, when we watch our experience, when we see that the only place the mind can ever go is where there is time, wherever there is past, the mind, and I'll use that interchangeably with ego, our separate self-sense, the ego and mind have tons of great work to do in the past. Okay? And they have tons of great work to do in the future. What has already happened and what hasn't happened yet, these are both fantasies, little pre-recordings and recordings of what is yet to happen, these maps essentially, that the mind it builds an entire existence around. But it's not the territory. What's on the other side of that churning, burning brain in the past and on the other side of that churning, burning brain, mind, whatever we want to call it, ego in the future, is total peace. So we follow the signs. We follow the map. We follow the yellow brick road. We just keep going. And this takes a little bit of strength because we have to go through the resistance. We sometimes say that a practice that is without any type of tender compassion is going to be missing that just the juicy experience of love and a practice that is absence the strength needed that comes from wisdom the juiciness from compassion and the strength from wisdom if we don't have the strength in there also 
we will find something that lacks resolve. So we go from this place of recognition into the place of resistance where things get hot and we plateau and we go through this, this dark night of the soul as St. John of the Cross has sometimes called it. It ain't easy in that space. When we start sitting still, oftentimes we become tenderized to the world. Suddenly something that wouldn't really affect us that much is just blowing us away. We find these giant emotional responses that come from something that wouldn't have moved us at all six months earlier. And we think, oh, actually, we're taking steps backwards. Somehow the, uh, the map that I've been following is now leading me into a hypersensitive space. I've become a real, you know, girly man. <laughs> That's the only Arnold illusion for the night, okay? So there will be no more... <laughs> but seriously, we, we, we tend to, this it tenderizes us. Practice stillness tenderizes our entire being. And we tend to get lost. And so what do we do? We attach to the map and we confuse it with the territory. Well, that attaching to the map, thinking it's the territory, will always fail. And then there's a really cool chance at the point of failure, when we recognize that the map is not the territory, at that point of failure, we then go into one of two places. We either go towards release, or we regress back into resistance. One of two places. So as we start a spiritual practice, okay, we start following the map. Okay, and for a while we confuse it with the territory, but then we recognize it's not the territory, and then it gets scary, and we go back to the map and say, this must be it, this must be it. Uh, we are in no man's land. And we can exist in no man's land until we finally are ready to release, to let go. Okay? And finally just let go. Which is the ultimate teaching. It's the ultimate teaching. Let go, let go, let go. Let every single step that you take be a rich, conscious, consciously recognized gift from the universe. Every breath that you take, let it be a rich, consciously recognized gift from the universe. Go through your day like that. So we've gone from Recognition, to resistance, to release. And that territory that is beyond the map will never be available for the mind to conceive. The mind cannot conceive it. It's not something that it can, it, it can't build shelter there. You just can't do it. It's beyond comprehension. It is not beyond experience. It is beyond the map. It is not the map itself. And like I said, it's scary. This can be very, very frightening, literally frightening work. Okay? Because there's a power struggle. A power struggle always ensues with the ego 
and with what is beyond the ego. The ego recognizes that there is an audience that can actually see what it's been doing this whole time on the stage of mind. And that struggle that ensues takes us usually from uh, kind of a, a fear, low-grade anxiety into a fear, into uh, a pain and into anger. The work then that we continually go back to is watching the process. If we watch the process, what we do is we take some of the gas out of the engine of resistance. So one thing I would like to just kind of throw out there for the, uh, for the week, something that we can all, all look at, each of us, if we can pay very close attention to what our preferences are, we can uncover at least this slight confusion we have with uh, uh, the map and the territory when we look at our preferences. Our preferences are usually map orientations. Okay? Not territory, but map orientations. The way we'd like the map to look, the things we would prefer to see, right? And preferences, while they're not something you want to escape from necessarily, you don't want to run from your preferences, you want to have a relationship to them because preferences, whatever it might be, I prefer this type of material or this type of style. I prefer this type of car or this type of cheese. Whatever it happens to be, whatever your preferences happen to be, they can always, if we give them enough of our attention, point us in the direction of our attachments. And our attachments are what lead us into that resistance stage, the second one. From recognition that something's missing, we then recognize, oh, here are some things that I totally prefer. In fact, I don't just prefer them. I, I, I want to go after them constantly. Those are the things that keep us on the map as opposed to looking at where the map is directing us. So watching, watching our preferences as we go through the next several days. When we do this, we become very uh, intimate with our interior landscape. And as we become more and more familiar with our interior landscape, we start, just like familiarity, will always, always breed a certain degree of comfort. We start to become comfortable in this place that scares us the fear starts to diminish, the resistance starts to diminish, and then we become primed for the next step, which is just, just let it go. You ever seen somebody who's let it go? Especially, I think this is one way where every once in a while you run into somebody. For me recently, it's been in shocking detail in some elderly people that I've met. When I say elderly, I'm meaning, you know, well into their 80s. They've hit this place where they look at their children and their grandchildren, and even in some cases their great-grandchildren, with this sort of, almost just this regal tenderness. That's a bodhisattva. That's someone that, that enlightens all beings with their presence, you know? They're beyond crotchety, <laughs> you know? But just beyond crotchety. What's for dinner? 
great. You know, being in that space where the preferences have softened, they themselves have softened, their hearts and minds have softened. Not that they aren't sharp anymore. I mean, in one case, this person was not too sharp anymore, but it didn't matter. It was like almost the practice had carried something very special into their experience and my experience with them. So, let's look at our preferences. Let's look at the map, study the map, and know continually with practice that you will see that the map is not the territory. The map is a pointer. Just like the street sign is not the street itself. We start seeing things from different perspectives instead of a contracted experience of looking at, for instance, at ice. That's ice. Yeah, but it's more than just ice. It's also water, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess. It's also a, a spin of subatomic particles miraculously and perfectly held together through bonds and so forth, chemical bonds. Oh, well, yeah, that's that too. It's all that and more. So that we literally open our eyes wider, our ears, our taste buds, all sensations, our relationship to our mind, our relationship to others, begins to literally just crack open. And even in the discomfort of that initially, we trust that it will be there for us in very rich ways in the future. It doesn't always, always hurt because we don't resist at that third stage of release. Okay? We release so that everything then becomes a bow. Thank you. Yes, ma'am? Um, what I don't get the connectedness between is the looking at our preferences and then the diminishing of fear. What, what happens there? So you, you, di you didn't get the, uh, the connection I, I laid out between I, the diminishing of preferences and then the fear that we get? Well, what, what I heard you say is that as we examine our preferences, fear will drop away. As we examine our preferences, fear will drop away, yes. Now, because what happens is as we look at our preferences, we recognize that they are little hooks, little attachments that we have. In the studying of attachment, we call attention to it. That attention, it's like shining the light on it. It can't survive in the light. Attachments cannot survive in the light of our awareness. So the the resistance pattern that will crop up whenever we start shining the light of our attention onto our preferences is ego will try to hide them and mask them as things that we won't find. Okay? But we just patiently keep, keep the light shining. Right? And in this process, ego freaks out and starts to resist. And then we watch ego freak out and start to resist. We shine the light of our awareness on ego as it's freaking out on the stage, you know, just keeping the spotlight on it. And then finally it gets exhausted. And then at that point, there's release. There's no longer resistance. And it'll come back. But then we do the same practice. 
It'll come back. We do the same practice. So, as we study our attachments, as we study our preferences, whatever it happens to be, we start recognizing that it's all stuff. Our preferences are basically all aspects of our mind. They're all on the map. Studying the map, figuring out where it goes, leads us directly every time, every time, if we have the courage to actually follow what's written on the map, it'll lead us into that third place of release. The resistance is gone. And in that release, there's no fear there. Fear is resistance. Because it means change. It means we have to let go. Fear always comes from that place. Fear comes from having to... Right? Oh. And with the, like I said, with the practice, we, f we familiarize and re-familiarize and re-familiarize ourselves with the surrender, which is a counterintuitive move for any, any bit of us that is, is preferential or related to clinging. Does that kind of make sense a little bit? You sure? Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I always try to bring what you say to my daily life. Well, don't do that too often. <laughs> so I really practice what mm -hmm. I teach. Um, and in that context, what you just talked about, Today, I wanted to make a reservation on United Airlines to fly somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I finally connected with a voice. And this voice had an accent. I think the accent was Indian. But I, being myself, someone with a very heavy accent, I'm not very good about other people's accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know where this person came from, but anyway, uh, I couldn't understand him. So you couldn't understand this guy on the phone? No, and I don't think he could understand me. Uh, however, he was going to do his job, and I had to make a reservation, so we both had a goal. Um, and then, this took a long time, but... What I am trying to explain is, within my own totally wrapped, wrapped, closed, uh, um, me, my reservation, <laughs> I'm never gonna get it. I began to get not scared, but furious. Uh, however, he wouldn't let go. He was gonna help me, even if we didn't know what we were talking about. So. Uh, I began to get furious at this voice. If I can, if I had only observed my own rage, my own indignation. So, as usual, I learned my lesson after the fact. I hope sometime in the future, in the next 20 years, because I do have more than that. I learned the lesson before the fact. And my question is, where will that be? <laughs> the question is, when will you learn? Before the fact. Before the fact. <laughs> well, I don't know. 
But I do know a way out of your pain. Now, do you know the name of the caller? Or the, uh, excuse me, the guy who helped you on the phone? Okay. Um, I'm wondering if you can find, find out who that was. I can try. And if you can't, it's okay, but it's the trying. Mm -hmm. The trying yeah. has a magical way of undoing the twists in our karma. Mm -hmm. Okay? okay? He was going to help you, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. All right, now, here's a place where you, where you don't want to go. Equally bad as, as the anger, the fear that I'm not going to get my reservation that I need turns into anger and then gets pitched into rage as the contraction becomes more and more and more intense around this feeling of separate separation mm -hmm. from what's, what needs to happen. As that gets inertia and the snowball starts getting bigger and bigger, the way that you can turn that inward is to, after the fact, go, I hate myself. Mm -hmm. What did I just do? Oh, I'm horrible at this. That's just as bad, okay? That's the violence that was going out, turning around and coming back, okay? And so, one of the ways out of that letting it come back is to see it first, like you've been talking about beautifully, okay? You see the anger first, and then there's this little thing making amends. If you try to connect with this guy, and my sense is, United's a big company. You're probably not going to be able to get this guy on the phone. And I think it's going to be hilarious you telling somebody in customer service, well, he had a, an Indian accent. <laughs> it's probably not going to get you very close. But if you could, if you could figure out, I called it this time, here's my itinerary. If bet on the facts, it probably says his, you know, his employee number. Leave him a voicemail. And if you can't, it's okay. But the, the practice is, not, you got hooked, now you're free of the hook, right? Now what you can do is you can, <laughs> you can literally look, look at the situation with an openness that allows for a response to come from a place of love as opposed to separation. I do want to tell you that after the whole thing happened, I say, wow. Wow, <laughs> good. Well, that you know what? That's that's huge. That's hu don't diminish that, Lucy. The wow. Don't. No, I'm really serious about this. Give yourself some credit there because that that is the work. That's what's beyond the mind. The mind gets caught. The wow is what's beyond the terror. The, the, it's the territory beyond the map. And then it helps to laugh at myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, it sure does, doesn't it? Journey of failure with good intentions. Exactly. It's one continuous mistake, this practice, isn't it? Thank yeah. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, if anybody has any more questions, uh, oh, you did, did you have one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maura, you had one too? Yeah. If, I, I know it's nine, so if anybody needs to leave, I totally respect that, but I'm, I'm really happy to answer a couple quick questions. Comment on Lucy. 
the could the appropriate response have been to um, either just say goodbye and call back and you know randomly get someone else in the queue that might have been more helpful, or to even ask for that person's supervisor? Sure. I mean, it doesn't. I don't know that Lucy. The whole burden of the communication needs to be put on her. Maybe she didn't respond the way that she would have preferred that she had. Any response, Mark. Any response that comes from that place of openness and surrender is a response that's coming from love. And a response that's coming from love is inherently compassionate and inherently generous. Right. I mean, you may just be able to identify that the person's just not going to get the job. So if you can respond knowing that or having that, that if that thought is arising, that impulse is arising, your relationship to that impulse can be one of two directions. It can be either contracted, which is, God damn it. Or it can be open, which is, wow, um, I, I think I'm going to call back. Thank you. <laughs> All right? That would have been, sure. But it was not coming from the contraction. That response would be coming from, it, it, um, <laughs> it can come from a giggle, honestly. You know, you hear somebody on the other end, and you absolutely have no idea what they just said. <laughs> It, that's funny. I'm sorry. That's what you have no, it's like communication is over here. I, I, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But any response to any situation that comes from surrender, and this is odd for Westerners, but that comes from surrender is going to be a situation that helps awaken. In, in, it, it actually supports the territory beyond the map. Because the territory now sees itself as that which is looking at the map. Don't worry, you don't have to get that. It's just, it's just the, the awareness, the consciousness informs itself. Yeah? Just a little comment. When we get hooked, when we're truly hooked, we don't see we have a choice. When we are hooked, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. So when we can see that we're hooked, all of a sudden we have a choice. There you go. Right. When we're hooked, there's no choice. When we see that we're hooked, we can act from the place of the seer. Activity that comes from the place of the seer is invariably a manifestation of compassion. That's the fruition. Yeah. My question. This keeps coming up. Who decides to meditate? Great question. I don't know. You tell me. Keep, <laughs> me, keep meditating and tell me who decides to meditate. Who? who is it that's asking the question? Who am I looking at right now? I decided to ask the question. Who's that? Yeah, who? that's. No, I want to know that. Uh, tell, follow that eye sense. Who's that I? Stick with me more. Who is that I? Many. Many. It's many. It's all. If you follow that I sense to its source, you will find it's not only many, 
It's all. There's the many, and there's the one. And when we are informed consciously by both of those, we awaken. See you next week. There are still places available for the October 20th.